I was so clueless about how to raise money for a company. I'd never done it before. And I'm, I'm pitching them while I'm walking my dog and my nine month old baby, you know, through the neighborhood. Cause I have just no clue what I'm doing. And I had this sort of perception of like, well, it's early. So it sort of doesn't matter, right? Like it's just, everyone understands that you're hacking it together. You're making it happen. And so I don't need to be quote unquote as professional. Um, so clueless on the way that this world works. That was John Tabas, co-founder and CEO of The Books. We'll get into John's story and how he's disrupting the flower industry in just a second. Before we do, this episode is about startups. Is an MBA helpful launching a startup or going to work for one? That's the question we're going to try to answer. Welcome to Why MBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm your host, Alex Grodnick. It was at Anderson where I discovered my drive to become an entrepreneur. If you listen to the first episode, we go through the journey, but it's enough to say here that I was a stodgy investment banker before school and a bright-eyed entrepreneur with a shiny new podcasting business coming out of it. More and more people are coming to business school to start businesses or get jobs at early stage companies. While the traditional path out of business school is to go work for a big company, MBAs like me are starting to see how helpful business school is in starting a business or getting a job at a very early one. Let's begin with John and the story of the Books Company. So Books is a cut to order online floral delivery service. Essentially what we do is we deploy technology at farms around the world. We have about hundred farms we work with. They're in Ecuador, Colombia, Chile, Peru, across the United States, um, some in, in uh, North and East Africa as well. And what we do is we deploy this technology on these farms. It tells us what a farm is growing, when they're growing it, how much if they have at a given time, pricing, all these, all this kind of information. And then um, what we do is we make the market in real time with the customer. So when you come to our website at books.com and you check things out, you're not looking at something that we have here in a warehouse or in our fridge here or whatever it is. You're looking at literally what's growing on this network of farms around the world. John, along with his co-founder. Really interesting guy. His name's Juan Pablo Montufar Arroyo. The two were friends from undergrad. They were in the same dorm freshman year at the University of Notre Dame. After college, Juan went back to Ecuador to his family's farm and John became a management consultant. We became really good friends. And uh, it just so happened that he ended up being a flower farmer. And it just so happened that I ended up being sort of a marketing and brand guy. And you know, how many years later was it? It was five years ago now. So it was probably like 13, 12 years after we graduated, we uh, started a company. The Books is disrupting the way we buy flowers. The company is vertically integrated and sells flowers directly to consumers. That's a term that means they cut out the middleman. The traditional flower journey is from a farm in South America to an exporter, to an importer, to a wholesaler, to a florist who gets their orders from 100 flowers and FTD. So you have six players that are all sort of holding, marking up, making, you know, wasting, breaking, et cetera, flowers along the way. And we do is we shorten all of that to just us, the farm and the consumer. And we make sure that it, uh, every single stem is 100% third-party verified, sustainable, responsible labor. So we maintain really high standards of quality and, and the way that things are, are produced in our network. And then we ship them directly to the end customer. The traditional flower supply chain is made up of warehouses, exporters, importers, distributors, and auctioneers. By connecting farmers to consumers, the Books eliminates all of those middlemen, thus disrupting the way business is done. Here's Brian Farrell, adjunct professor at Anderson and past CEO of THQ, the company that developed video games like South Park, Saints Row, and Darksiders. 
on what disruption is. The first class I started teaching was on uh, managing disruptive technologies and business models. Um, disruption is one of the most overused terms. I hear people say, I'm gonna disrupt the laundry business or disrupt, and, and if you study Clayton Christensen, which is the focus of my class, disruption has a very, very significant term um, where you completely change uh, either the business model, the economics, um, using either technology or a new business model. And there is a lot of academic work done around it. And uh, we look at it from two ways. We look at it from the perspective of an incumbent company. How do I respond to disruption? Uh, we also look at it from the point of view as an, of an entrepreneur. How do I disrupt something? And disruption doesn't mean shaking it up. It means doing something so unique and different that the entire industry has changed forever. And what's the result of this disruption? The farmer makes more money. The consumer gets flowers that last longer and cost less. And the existing or incumbent flower companies either adapt to the new way of doing business or go out of business. I lived through a lot of disruption. Um, we talk about that in class, you know, the, the transition to CD-ROM, the, the transition to free-to-play gaming, very disruptive business models. And uh, what I do in the class, it's threefold. One is reading Clayton Christensen and others. The other is case studies of, of industries that are either disrupted or, or trying to disrupt. And the third leg on that stool is I bring in speakers. Uh, C-level people from various firms that talk about disruption, again, either as an incumbent or someone like John Tabas who has disrupted an entire industry. So what's the result? In 2012, the year the Books was founded, the company had revenues of less than a million dollars. Today, they've had several days where they've sold more than a million dollars of flowers in a single day. The company has raised more than $40 million and the idea to disrupt the way people buy flowers is actually working. You know, if you look at floral, you sort of have two brands in the space that matter, 1-800-Flowers and FTD, you know, both billion plus revenue companies, but in a segment that's, you know, 14 or $15 billion in the U.S. So there's plenty of open space. Everyone else is pretty small. You know, you'd be hard pressed to find another business that's north of say $10 million of revenue in this category. And so I think what we've done that's pretty unique is we've, we've deployed the technology so that it is essentially a self-running ecosystem of floral distribution. Um, and then we've built this brand around it that's scaled pretty rapidly and that folks really love. John, it's very cool hearing about what you've been able to build with the books. I have to ask you, what happened with Shark Tank? Shark Tank. Shark Tank's awesome. I love Shark Tank. Shark Tank was was like the best thing. It's like this gift, it's a gift that keeps on giving. So we went on Shark Tank. I, I filmed in middle of 2013, right after we closed our seed round. And it aired in spring of 2014. And we were like season five or six or something. We were sort of right at the peak um, when it was at its most popular. Maybe it was most popular the next season or something, but it was pretty close. Ultimately, sort of got destroyed in the tank. They had reasons, like Barbara didn't like the name and... And, and Cuban didn't like that I had already raised money from other investors or whatever. But I think ultimately the real reason was the price. We had a valuation of around $8 million. And they looked at that and they thought, this is all based on future stuff that he, this guy might do. And we just don't believe that he's going to do that. Um, and so got pretty much rejected. Mr. Wonderful said he was going to send flowers to my grave, which was a classic line. Um, and, uh, you know, and then and when we went on the show and we sold, like it, it was right before Mother's Day and we sold out of everything in like, an hour. It was crazy. I mean, the website held its own, 
but we had like 30,000 people on the website at any given moment. It was nuts. Sold out of everything for that Mother's Day. We barely fulfilled all the orders. Customer service was crazy because we didn't have enough people to handle it. We had like seven people in the company total. It was completely insane, but we sort of made it through it. And it was a really great way to get you know, the word out about the company. And we grew the company from there. Okay. Now that we've heard how John is disrupting the flower business, I want to talk with my friend and former classmate, Kevin Shaw. Kevin is one of the smartest and most clever people I knew at Anderson. Before school, he worked at Deloitte and Disney and used business school to hustle his way into the startup world. I bring Kevin in here because I think it's useful to hear some of the tactics a business school student uses to get meetings, internships, and ultimately a job. So I interned at the Books. So it's short for bouquet. So it was like a local startup in LA. They raised like 40 million at the time. And it was interesting because the CEO was actually former Anderson. And he actually worked in my old group at Disney. So I was just talking about him in terms of like an informal conversation about, hey, like looking to learn about startups, learn about like just starting entrepreneurial ventures. I know you did your own. And really my goal going in was like, hey, how do I make this guy my mentor? That was my, my main objective. And he was just like, hey, why don't you come work for me? He's like, you can report directly into like me and the CMO and you'll just do special projects for us ad hoc. And so I think I was the only MBA there outside of the CFO. And so it was great. He just gave me a bunch of special projects and gave me a lot of insight into like how he was building his venture. And I think that was like the greatest insight for me. Kevin mentioned reaching out to John while he was in business school. That process of reaching out to someone you want to get to know for a call or a coffee or a lunch that's one of the crucial components of what business school is all about. People are so much more inclined to like respond to you because of that .edu. And also people love to just talk about themselves. So, right, you just get them, you ask one or two questions and they'll just go on for like 20 minutes. And it's great. I love it. What about finding companies you wanted to meet with? Yeah, so Anderson had access to CB Insights. And so I basically downloaded the entire list of, I think it was like 5,000 companies that had ever raised money that were still in business technically. And then just basically started curating everyone from like seed funding to series A and just started going through companies and being like, oh, they look interesting. Do I know anyone there? Does Do any of my contacts know anyone there? Is there anyone from Anderson there? And then I would just reach out, right? Like whether it was through LinkedIn or like through like my Anderson email and where possible is always through Anderson. Business school can be a time in life when it's okay to be selfish. You think a lot about yourself, what interests you, what new experiences you wanna have or what new things you wanna try. When I came to Anderson, of course, I wanted to have life-changing events and have my current views on the world and how I fit into it be challenged. But really, for me, coming to school was about reopening my mind to an entrepreneurial way of thinking. I asked John and Kevin what their reasons were. Let's hear John's first. Anderson, for me, was a great fit. It was in Los Angeles, which I was interested in. It had entertainment expertise, which I was interested in. It also had marketing expertise, which was sort of a, a second thing that I was thinking about, sort of secondary to, to, um, to entertainment. But then more than anything, it was really a, it was a cultural fit for me. You know, when I spent time with the folks in career development department or in the recruiting side of things, admissions, it was a very, it was a very natural fit for me. I felt like these are the types of people that I want to be around. They were certainly smart. They were certainly driven. They certainly cared about being top quality executives and, and changing the world and all these types of good things. But there wasn't this sort of cutthroat mentality that I, that I got as a vibe from some other, other top schools. And so I felt like it was a really good cultural fit for me as well. And so ended up being, you know, a really good home for me for those two years. I think everyone at UCLA is fairly competent in the technical stuff and the quantitative like analysis, but it's really like that second step of actually like communicating it or like dealing with people. Cause 
I feel like the roles that MBAs go into, it's always like growth or like strategy. And a lot of that brings a lot of like uncertainty and you deal with a lot of like, you know, normal flows of the, like the ups and downs of like growing a business or like starting a business. And so you have to deal with like hiring people and like firing people and like having hard conversations. And I don't think you all, like you're ever really prepared for that. But I think MBA puts you, like Anderson did a good job of simulating those scenarios for us. So it wasn't the first time that you walked into that situation, right? Like a lot of stuff from negotiations, whether it's, hey, you're negotiating like buying a car. Sure, that's not comparable, but it's like, there's a lot of characteristics that you can pull from that that are similar to how you have conversations around like how to hire someone and negotiate a package or like how to basically like close the deal when they're deciding between like your job and some other company. You can be lots of different things in your life, right? At any given point in your life, you you can be a different human. We tend to get on a path and just sort of stay on it because of inertia, which is one, just boring. Um, but two, it's it, it's a disservice to, it, to, to the human being because we are wildly capable of doing lots of different things. Um, and, uh, and I think that is what I like about life. I like the variety. I don't love becoming a specialist. I've said this a couple of times to folks, but I've, I wildly respect and appreciate people who are specialists. Um, Olympic ice skaters, they fascinate and confuse me because I don't understand how anyone can find joy and, and be interested in doing the same thing so many times over and over and over to become a perfectionist at it. I respect it, but that's not how my brain works and that's not how my heart and my head work. And so for me, it's all about variety. I wanna try something new, something different every single day. And it's one of the reasons I love being an entrepreneur and running a company is the challenges literally change on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. You are not gonna do the same thing for a long stretch when you're going from zero to 50, 50 to 100, to 100 to 150 people by definition. And I think that's really what sings to me about the entrepreneurial journey. That's it for today's episode on MBAs and startups. If you want to be an entrepreneur or get a job at a fast-growing startup, then going to business school can help you build a new network, connect with founders and investors, and find what you're passionate about. And while the challenges an entrepreneur will face along their journey may seem insurmountable, the learnings and experiences from business school will definitely give you a leg up. Thanks for listening to episode two in this four-part series. Be sure to check out the next episode where we speak with Rosie O'Neill, the co-founder of the fast-growing candy company Sugarfina, about the ups and downs of chasing your dream job.